Welcome to the Homeowners Institute. I'm your host, Fred Gutierrez. Today, I'm joined by my partner at Shepherd PMC, Mike McHugh, in a conversation with Jan Corning. Jan built her current home in the Finger Lakes region of New York while she lived five hours away. She was only able to visit the construction site three times before completion. We talk about how her childhood home influenced this home and the strategies she had for finding and working with the builder that balanced both her desire for managing the budget and using modern building technologies. Jan is special in many ways and her experience can help both homeowners and women working in the home design and construction business. Thank you for listening today. If you or a friend had a successful home building experience like Jan, it would be generous for you to share your strategies and lessons learned to help others lead their projects too. Please enjoy and take notes from our conversation with Jan Corning. All right, Jan, tell me a little bit about your childhood home, your memories of that and how they might have affected what you do today as, as a homeowner or, or professional. So my childhood home was a center hall colonial in a neighborhood of center hall colonials on about a quarter of an acre lot. And every, every house in that neighborhood was the same house painted a different color. But it was a beautifully built house. It was built in 1920. It had plaster walls. I found out later on when I, when I did go into building that it was balloon framed. But the rooms were generously sized and it had a wonderful spirit about the house. At the time, you know, when you're a kid, you don't know it. You go up and down the stairs, you run into the bedroom, you, you run around the banister. And you just live well in the spaces. It was only in hindsight that I realized the kind of sense of permanence that that house gave us. And I think the actual structure of the home gave it to us. Interesting. Talk about the spirit of the house a little bit more and that permanence. Those two interesting words you chose. <sighs> yeah. I think the permanence comes from a sense of design right? Uh, it was a very classic layout. It was a very warm feeling when you came into the spaces. There was a very distinct differentiation between public spaces, let's call it living room, entertaining dining room, and kitchen and bedrooms, which now may not be so wonderful, but then was really when we were living that way, you know, the living room was, we weren't even allowed in the living room practically until, you know, I can remember when my kids were little and they went in the living room and, I, and I'm like, you're not allowed in there. My mother's like, yeah, it's fine. I'm like, really? So, but it was just the, the permanence was that you didn't think of, there was nothing like, oh, we're going to move that wall and make this room bigger. It was maximized and it was laid out in such a way that it was 
exactly what you needed and what it was. There, there wasn't room to really modify it within the space of the structure. And all these years later, I remain friends with the people who bought the house that I grew up in. And the same basic layout is in that structure. And they added onto the back and expanded it. But that same basic layout exists, which I think is really interesting. And then the spirit of the home. Gosh, how do you describe that? Um, so I think it just gives you a sense of belonging in the home, that it's your home, not a space that you occupy. There's a sense of permanence in the plaster walls and the symmetry of the windows. And from the outside, you look at the windows and they're nicely stacked one over the other and the sizes are the same. And that symmetry and solidity of, you know, plaster on lath at that point, the, the sound was different than in other homes. I don't know how to describe it. It just had this life to it. I feel like you're describing a good grandfather, a good grandmother in terms of like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. this house is like warm and just taking care of you and like, yeah, just making sure you don't fall. <laughs> I mean, I guess it, I guess it did. And, and, you know, maybe there's some emotion there because we love that house and it's now gone, but you know, my parents owned that house for 47 years and it was our childhood home and much of my adult right. life. Have you sought out that same relationship to homes that you've maybe moved into? So interestingly, you know, when I bought my home that I lived in for 25 years, it is exactly the home that I said I would never, ever, ever move into because I, I wanted that kind of permanence of a center hall colonial. And then I sold that house and, and moved to the Finger Lakes. And the home that I created here, even though it's a new home, my goal was to make it look like a renovated cottage that had been there forever. And many of the people on the road, when they say, you built this home? I thought this was always here and you just renovated it and spruced it up. So I think I achieved that. Jan, on that house with your 30 plus years experience in building, how did you go about building that? Did you design it? What was your team like to do that? I did design it. I had an architect that I worked with in person that designed it. Then I handed off the design to a builder keeping in mind that I lived five hours away from this property. I can say that I should have paid more attention during the building process. The strength of the design definitely carried it through, but some of the detailing the builder chose might not have been my choice, but that is, that's just, that was my mistake. You know, I, I was at the house three times during the construction of the home. And the rest of it was done via conversations and some pictures. And it's just not the same. We talk about homeowners, you know, to be helpful for their team. 
it's important for them to clarify their value structure or what they hold important to them. And I think a set of drawings can kind of do that, but it doesn't really cover all the bases. And sometimes it's hiring the people because you share their values mm-hmm. and you're not really telling them, but you're just hiring them. So that's kind of one way to do it. But I like to say, you know, if you pretend you're not able to be there, which was your case, what can you tell a person that will help them make decisions in your absence? And I think your drawing might've done that, but there, maybe there was something else you could have layered on Ah, to kind of get a little deeper into those details or to set up an expectation that Uh I'm comfortable with you doing certain things, but these things Uh are worthy of a call to break that silence. Right. So the guy that I hired is a great guy and he really did honor the design and he honored as much of what I had shared with him as he could, to be quite honest with you. I did not let him know that, frankly, that the insulation and the continuous air barrier was going to be super important to me. And he did a great job insulating. He did spray foam, even though it's, uh, the Finger Lakes is not a spray foam area, even though it's starting to become one now. He went out of his comfort zone to help me achieve that, but I didn't share as much of my understanding as I could have and be much more precise than I was. Why did you choose that builder? So I interviewed four builders. Price had something to do with it. One of the builder was nearly twice per square foot what the other three were. So he was not selected, frankly, because I was building on a budget. And the other two builders, they didn't engage in conversation. They answered questions, but I didn't feel like they understood that I wanted to be part of the process, that I cared about the details in it. They I'm going to say, quite frankly, that if my husband had been the driver behind it, I think it might have been a different response. But I think that as a woman driving a construction project, I felt poo-pooed by the other two. Like, yeah, it's okay. I got it. I understand. Don't worry, honey. I'll take care of it. The two that you didn't select. The two that I didn't select. And the guy that I did select really engaged with me, Great. really engaged and made me feel heard. How did you feel about letting the high guy go? Uh, Yeah, they say it all the time. You get what you pay for. You know, if you're used to driving a Lexus and somebody puts you in a Hyundai, you can get from point A to point B, but it's not a Lexus. Do you think if you had gone with that higher end builder, that higher cost builder, would you have achieved those details more precisely? No questions asked. But if budget really is a driver, there is a strategy. Well, I could talk myself out of this. There's a strategy with going to somebody else because they're doing things that are new to you because you come from a luxury home building experience. Right. So you're going to have a harder time compromising with the higher end builder than you are with somebody else. The higher end builder is not going to even suggest certain things. Right. So your cost, you, you've got very little chance of reducing your cost. Exactly. 
So to go with a very qualified and engaged lower tier builder mm-hmm. is a strategy yeah. that you chose. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. And by the way, if you came into my home, well, maybe you two might notice a couple of the details that I noticed, but the average person comes into my home and is absolutely blown away and loves it. And I absolutely adore my home down to this mistake that the guy made. My old mill shop manager built me a counter for my bathroom because I didn't want stone. I wanted it to look old. So he built a counter and a backsplash out of mahogany. And it's sealed with 400 layers of everything. And it's, it's unbelievably durable. Well, the light switch was down into the side splash. So instead of lifting the light switch up an inch and a half, they cut down (laughs) into the side splash. And I walked in and went, oh my God, why would you have ever done that? But here I am three years later, you know. (laughs) We'll just um, notch this. Yeah, right, exactly. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You don't know to say, please don't notch side splash. (laughs) (laughs) How did you process that? Uh, uh, Yeah. Um, (laughs) I laughed. I mean, I think a sense of humor in construction is unbelievably required. Oh, yeah. I laughed out loud and said, I can't believe that's what you chose. (laughs) and he said well what would the other option have been I said well you could have lifted the switch oh I'm not an electrician I'm 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 not going to win this battle kind of like okay and I will say that I said before I was at the house three times I was there once during the electric wiring and I was there two other times after that event, when they put the counter in. So it was, that was when I started to say, gee, I really, <laughs> I really need to spend more time there. Did the builder know your background and, and your experience going in? Oh, yeah. Um, now, by the way, I, uh, you know, I have to say that I've definitely matured through the course of this because I go into that bathroom and it makes me smile instead of irritating me. You know, we've had other owners say the same thing about things that had they not known the tradesperson or the subcontractor well enough, it would have driven them crazy. But now they see it as something that they look fondly on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I I wanted to ask you about something too, that it was kind of important to note, like in lining up this interview with you, I was thinking a lot about women in construction in this day and age, for you to feel what you felt with those other two builders, how did that make you feel? Um, so I'm in, I'm in construction in the Finger Lakes now, and I will say that geography is a huge factor in it. I think that in the large cities, women in construction is, if not the norm, is generally accepted. As you get into areas that are not urban areas, women in construction are odd. They assume that I'm someone's secretary. So I'll tell you, I went to a building department within the past six months 
and I was dropping off a building permit and the fellow knows my boss and the permit wasn't filled out correctly because of something, I don't remember what it was, or I didn't have the survey or whatever it was that he decided he needed. And I will say it's very fortunate that I was wearing a mask because he said, oh my God, this isn't right. And while I was standing there, picked up the phone, called my boss to tell him what to tell me to do while I was standing there. Ugh. You know, I, so how does it make you feel? I am who I am. I know what I know. And it took me a long time of fighting to have people understand what I know. I'm not fighting anymore. I know what I know. And it'll come out in the wash. It will come out in the wash. I know that at some point or another, that man at that building department will say, oh, she knows what she's doing. I better double check and make sure that I'm right yeah. before I say that. But it, it's time and it's time, it's patience on my part and it is familiarity on other people's part. It's a great answer. Just to preface, Jan, you were the project manager on a house that we did, you say 10 years ago, I think it was two, a large house in Scarsdale, and you were the project manager for it. Mm -hmm. And it went quite well, I, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think what, what I would love some feedback on that and then, and then going towards your experience as an owner building a house, this relationship of a woman in construction leading a team. And I think the owner of that house really valued that you were part of the team mm -hmm. and that you could, well, that you were part of the team. So maybe talk about the idea of having a woman on a project and how that can help a project. I mean, because I think it did. Yeah, I thank you. I think it did too. So I, I think that a woman in construction is looking at the project as a series of decisions and a series of you know nuts and bolts and lists of materials but maybe more understanding of the nuances of the owner's personality and their unspoken questions i spent a lot of time in project management explaining things in a way that people could understand them. You know, geothermal, which I don't understand, but I could explain it to an owner so that they understood what the heat source was. They, like I do, you know, I, I explained geothermal, 400 feet in the ground, 55 degrees, constant temperature, goes into a magic box and comes out heat. And I think that for somebody who wanted to understand the heat source, many people, when somebody explained, well, it's, a, it's an air source heat, heat pump and it changes, it does the delta T and the whole thing, their eyes glaze over. The simpler explanation gave them exactly what they needed. 
I also recognized emotion. I don't care whether you're spending 200,000, 2 million or 20 million, there's emotion in building a home. Pushing the wrong button when something's emotional for an owner can send a project into a tailspin. And I think I was really good at understanding when a client's emotions changed, whether it was fear of making the wrong decision or not understanding what was happening or being surprised. I was able to really work with the emotions to create a sense of trust, really, that they were an important part of, of the project, that it's, you know, it's okay, we can, we can wait a little bit if this is too much for you now. We're going to redirect over here. And, and I, I think, I really do think I was pretty good at it. You were. Thank you. In construction, there's a lot of education that needs to happen in order for an owner to feel comfortable investing and making decisions. And that comes on the shoulder of, of a lot of us, but it also comes on the shoulder of the owner having the curiosity and willingness to ask the question. Right. So I think, I think selecting a team that mm-hmm. can communicate openly is a key thing. And, and that's that client saw in you that ability to have that exchange. And I think one of the big things that I remember our kind of kickoff meeting where we did the Myers-Briggs and, mm-hmm. yep. and I, I really think that that, and we've done that on some other projects where we have kickoff meetings. And I think the importance of seeing everybody outside of one leader and kind of trying to get to know each other has a really profound effect on building the team. Maybe you could talk about your experience of that, yeah. what you guys went away with, because I'm sure you thought who are these crazy guys asking us to do a personality profile test and then going and talking about it for a day? Yes, I definitely thought you guys were crazy, but I also thought that it showed an incredible investment in the team. It showed an incredible sense of wanting to understand the members of your team and whether it's, you know, in, in that case, the personality test, wanting to understand the, the players, but taking the time, the investment in time that was made by everybody on the team showed a real commitment to the success of that project. All too often as professionals, we're like, we got this, we've done this before. Mm-hmm. I don't, I haven't worked with this architect, but you know, they've done it before. So you're in good hands. We got it. Right. And I feel like that. Right. That is so far from the truth. It's like you are, we're all professionals, but we are starting something that is new. These relationships need to be built. Right. Um, in terms of how we're going to communicate, because two professionals may communicate completely differently. Mm-hmm. And to establish that early allows to hit the ground running. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's building a good foundation. Exactly. Yeah. It was definitely time well spent and it really got us off on the right track to start that project. Circling back to where we were earlier, I think 
was it gave us all a better appreciation of each team member and the better ways to show that appreciation. You know, maybe I wanted a pat on the back and maybe that wouldn't have been great for the superintendent. He didn't want a pat on the back. He wanted a cup of coffee, you know. <laughs> um, and as I recall, there were some people from our organization who were brought in who were not, let's call them higher ups. They were the guys who were going to work on the project. And that, I think, blew me away. That blew me away because that sense of appreciation that you can have the best management team in the world, but if they don't have a team of people who can execute from the guy who's sweeping the floor to the guy who's doing the carpentry to the guy who's doing the electrical work, if they don't have a team that can support the management of the project, there's no project. I remember that being a real significant takeaway. The other thing I want to talk about has always been successful in a project when we introduced pull planning. And I know you guys embraced it. And I've done it on other projects. They will admit that it's worked for them, but they have yet to redo it on another project. Can you just talk a little bit about your experience with learning pull planning and where you took it from there? So I agree it worked on your project. And I think in part it worked on that project because of the appreciation that the owner showed to the subcontractors. So the subcontractors really understood that their participation in the poll schedule mattered to the overall progress of the project. We did it mildly successfully on other projects. And I think the difference was the subcontractor buy-in, right? So here would be a conversation that when the sub hadn't bought into his responsibility for the schedule, yeah, you're ready for me. I can get it done in this period of time. Okay, well, so tell me specifically what me being ready for you means to you. Well, you know, I mean, you just got to be ready for me. And again, that's where I think I would ask questions. Okay, for you to do the flooring, the radiant tubing needs to be down and dried for 30 days. Okay, that's really important. So Mr. Radiant Installer Guy, that means you have to do that 30 days prior to when you thought you were going to have to do it so that we're ready for the floor guy. Well, why? It's going to be, I can do it in a day. Well, because his requirement is this. Then those two guys had a relationship, even though that they were not on the project at the same time, they had a relationship because they were discussing that. That's what makes the pull schedule a success. But yeah, I, I actually did a pull schedule last week on a small project that I'm working on. Oh, that's great. It's worked out well for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I think it's important that the subs understand that they're appreciated as part of the process. Otherwise, they just look at it as another set of deadlines. That takes a sensitivity towards their well-being in terms of them being effective. Yeah. And so there's a trust building that has to happen. So, you know, we, we were talking earlier this week. Sometimes we end up with new subs because we're forced into this 
buyout of somebody that's low for some strange reason. I don't know why we, mm-hmm. it just happens. We don't value enough the old relationship we have with other subs and say that even though they may be more expensive, we know the value of that relationship will hold up and actually result in a better product. Right. I think that's the challenge of buy-in is you have to have these strong relationships or build these relationships with subs. It's just the same as an owner with their builder, Mm -hmm. as a GC with their sub. And as an owner, if you're forcing that GC to make decisions that are out of their comfort zone, you don't know what's going to happen. Right. It's a risk management. Right. And that's where we as builders are comfortable in risk management. We understand that things are going to go wrong in the process of building. I've been on many, many successful projects, but I have never been on a project that didn't have something go wrong. This is what we do. Something goes wrong and we correct it. And wrong can mean anything. Unexpected. Yeah. And we divert our attention so that we can still continue to move the project forward. I think that one of the least successful projects that I was on was an owner who didn't understand that things could go wrong and felt angry and abused every time something went wrong. It sucked the soul out of the project because you're so afraid to be honest. I think our ability to manage risk and divert energy and reorganize and reorganize again and make a schedule and then make a different schedule because we had to shift gears is what makes a good builder. Well put. The perception of builders and general contractors in the public's eye they always feel like they're being, you know, told the classic, when's it going to be done? Two weeks or whatever. But mm-hmm. there's always going to be something that's a day late, a week late. Very rarely is it mm-hmm. on every single day that you think something's going to happen. But for an owner, they see that if it's happening on their property, it's upsetting. Yeah. And if it happens one day and the next day and the next day, it becomes an issue. And mm-hmm. for us, we understand that concrete is in high demand right now and it's getting pushed off a day. But that that need for the owner to have some yeah. understanding of the flow of things is the reason why they need to be informed about the schedule. It is our challenge to get them to understand the fluidity of a schedule and that you're really looking more at milestones than at events. Right. Yeah. They are fluid and they can be shifted around and still maintain a milestone. Or they're going to move that milestone and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But the general intent is a schedule is a tool, not a, not a measurement device. Right. It's a tool for organization. Yes. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of subs. They see it as a way of being measured and tested. Right. And yes. And having their feet put to the fire. And if they don't make that date that they're disappointing the whole team Mm -hmm. where you realize things can happen, but you need to have a general sense of a buy-in from everybody to get to where you need to go. Right. Yeah. Yep. We could talk for hours in closing this conversation. Do you think you could share three key tips for a homeowner in terms of how they might set themselves up for success on a project? Yeah. I think we've touched on all of them. Humility, 
understanding what you don't know, appreciation, understanding that everybody who steps foot on your job site is of value there. And I think the third thing is, I think it's trust. I think it's trusting the team that you've put together and letting them, each of them, do their job. And if you embrace those three things, what can happen? I think you have an incredibly successful project. I think that it opens the lines of communication so that everybody, and communication, I don't think you can have a successful project without good communication. But I don't think you can have good communication without appreciation, trust, and humility on everybody's part, right? The second the builder becomes arrogant and says, I've got this, I've done this, you've quelled some of that trust. So I think they all go hand in hand. Well said. Well, I couldn't thank you enough, Janet. 10 years has been too long. I really hope we can have other conversations. I think you are a superstar in our profession and I think more people should learn from you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you very much, Jan, for taking the time to do this with us. Appreciate it. Take care, guys. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. Bye. Thank you for being with us today at the Homeowners Institute. We really enjoyed this conversation with Jan Corning. If you'd like to reach out to Jan Corning, you can find her information in our show notes. And if you or a friend have a successful home building experience, won't you reach out to us at Shepherd PMC and share your story. Thank you again for listening and we'll see you on the next episode.